So we're continuing on in our exploration of the book of Hebrews. And Hebrews is one of those books that um, we kind of drop in in different places in it because there's some things that in it that are kind of difficult. There's some things that you hear and you kind of scratch your head. You're like, I'm not sure what that means or how that works out in life. And, and really, that's kind of what we're doing as we come through this series. We're saying, okay, we want to try and come together and get a greater understanding of why, um, why would somebody who is writing to uh, Judaizers, is writing to someone who came out of the Jewish faith. Why are they writing these things? Why are they bringing up certain topics? And honestly, it just comes down to the, the very real reality is that sometimes we need a little bit of a check. We need somebody to kind of bump up against us and say, listen, what you're thinking and what you're doing needs to change just slightly. Not that you're completely off kilter, but we need to kind of get you back into the lines and get you back into the guardrails of the gospel of Jesus. And so this morning, we're going to talk about something that is um, maybe for some of us going to hit home pretty hard. And for some of us, we're going to be like, well, I'm not sure um, really if that is something that, I apply, that applies to me, but it, it goes in with this very first question that I'm going to ask you is, have you ever felt alone? Have you ever felt absolutely alone? The chances are is that, that you have. A recent Harvard study uh, suggests that 36% of Americans have felt severely alone in the past 18 months. That includes 61% of young adults who have struggled with absolute serious loneliness. And with that in mind, I'm gonna to suggest to you that there are several people in this room that may be at this moment, even though we're in a group of people, struggling with the feeling of loneliness. And if we struggle with bouts of feeling alone and we struggle with bouts of, of, of not being able to connect with others, is it any wonder that sometimes we struggle to maintain belief. Sometimes we struggle in maintaining that, that very essential connection between our mind and our spirit, that essential connection between ourselves and our Heavenly Father. Is it any wonder that so many struggle to find hope? When loneliness hits hard, do you know what? Who's, who loneliness friend is? It's fear. When loneliness hits hard, loneliness friend, fear comes in and begins to take over. And when fear rises, your belief struggles. When fear rises, your hope begins to waver. I mean, just think about what you're encountering throughout the week. Gas prices we thought would go down, they're not. Food prices going up. A lot of things that we counted on in our lives to be safe, 
we can't count on those things to be safe. To be honest, kind of feel like there's not an end in sight. So, is there anyone or is there anything that can truly help us get through? I want to tell you that for certain we can overcome fear. Because we, if we're left to our own devices, we end up being overcome by fear right? When we feel alone, when we feel pressed up against a wall, when we feel like everything is closing in, fear begins to take over and tell us a story that isn't true. And it tells us something that that we continue to think and revolve around and spiral in, and then fear begins to spread through your life and those closest to you like wildfire. But if we trust in Jesus, not just in the Uh, Yeah, I'm in church, so of course I'm going to say that I trust in Jesus. But if we truly trust in Jesus, he can help you to overcome because Jesus is greater than your fear. Because Jesus is your hope. Jesus is our hope, and all of Hebrews is driving home a point. And that point is that Jesus is, in all the world, in all creation, Jesus is your only hope. He's your only source of salvation. He is the only one who can bridge the gap between God and man. Jesus is our confidence. And so we're going to jump in Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, We're going to kind of take one verse and then skip a few and then get to another one, okay? That's just kind of how it's going to run today because this is a complete thought and we're running through it in such a way that we can connect this idea and understanding that in the midst of our loneliness, if I was going to just tell you so you could leave right now, but don't leave right now. If I was going to tell you, Jesus is your hope and Jesus can overcome those feelings of loneliness and that feeling of separateness. So the writer of Hebrews says this, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. He says, so basically in a church, you know, sometimes you go to a church and and you have somebody that talks in a certain way and you'll you'll have some churches that are all about love, some churches that are all about the fire, some churches that are all about, about the sinfulness of man and you have all of these things and where, and depending on your bench, you're like, I love myself a good hellfire and brimstone preacher, right? Some of you are like, I've had enough of that. I just want to be loved because love is all you need right? I'll explain that to the kids later. Okay, so the reason that we can talk so much, though, about love, the reason that we can talk about the love of Jesus is because of the blood of Jesus. The reason that we can talk about Jesus is love is because Jesus' love poured out was the blood that covered our sin. The cost of holiness before God, the cost of holiness before God is satisfied by the blood of Jesus. Jesus' blood equals the proof of his love. 
So since we have confidence to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus, let us hold fast to the confession. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who has promised is faithful. Our confession of hope is powered by our belief in the faithfulness of Jesus. And we want to believe. We, you know, we, we come to church and, and we say, you know, I, I have a faith in Christ and it is helping me to weather the storm. And on one hand, we say it's absolutely true. And then for some of us, we speak it with our mouths, but our hearts don't chime in. Because we hope that it's true. We want it to be true. But I'll tell you, unless you have come to the point where you have absolute confidence in your heart of hearts, in the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus Christ, your faith will waver. You'll find yourself wavering in this hope that you want to have. Because the one who gave his life is faithful. So we can stand before God absolutely forgiven because of our faith in Jesus. Jesus' faithfulness is our assurance before God. And because of that, everyone who has placed faith in Jesus is in the same absolute position. There's no one higher, there's no one lower. Everyone who has faith in Jesus shares in the very same salvation. It's all through Jesus. So verse 24, we pick up and we hear that we should consider how to stir up one another. Now, I've been in a church for a very long time. And I know what it means to stir one another up. So we're going to stir one another up with juicy gossip. Hmm? Yeah. We're going to talk about, you know, whom, you know, that person over there. You know, can you believe? I heard the other day. And we're going to just consider how to stir one another up with juicy gossip. No, 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 no. No, what we're going to do is we're going to consider how to stir up one another with fear or with discontent instead, right? Discontent and grumbling. We want people to just be upset. We want us to stir each other up so that we're always grumbling. Let us consider how to stir one another up with fear and anger. If we can get angry at the world, if we can get angry at all kinds of things, maybe, maybe we can consider how to be the most angry and fear-filled people because that'll bring them in. Let's consider how to stir one another up with political opinion. That, that is something to build a church on right there, isn't it? The writer of Hebrews says, let's consider how to stir up one another. You know, not one of these things that I've said is the purpose of faith. 
And I want to encourage you that if you've, that if you've been a person that has brought in, in jealousy and brought in strife and brought in gossip and brought in hatred and brought in politics and brought in anger and brought in fear and brought in discontent and grumbling into the church, I want to very plainly tell you I'm talking to you right now. You need to be careful of bringing those attitudes into a place of worship. Because the writer of Hebrews encourages us to let us consider how to stir up one another in love and good works. So how do you know? How do you know that this is what you're doing? How do you know that the Holy Spirit is at work in you doing these things? Well, I would say this, basically, if the Holy Spirit is at work inside you, transforming your heart, instead of, of stirring up others with sinfulness, instead of stirring up other Christians and things that distract from God, your goal as you meet as the body of Christ is to stir one another up in love and good works. It says, not neglecting to meet together, which is a habit of some. And we're going to come back to this, okay? Not neglecting to meet together is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, the day is the day of judgment. So far, here's what we're to do. We're to stir up one another in love, in good works, and encouragement. Let me tell you, that is supposed to be the earmark of a healthy church. That's the, the earmark of a healthy Christian. Do you know why? Because the day of judgment is near. Mm. But we are not those who shrink back. We are not the ones that are shrink back and are destroyed because, because here's the deal. We're in this thing together, so we need to learn how to encourage one another in love and good deeds. Because we're in this together. So we shouldn't retreat in fear. We shouldn't let the, the body be destroyed by poison fruit. But those of faith, but those who have faith and, per, <clears throat> and preserve their souls, our actions, the things that we do as a, as a body that speak our, our faith, our love, our good deeds, our encouragement, our action as a body will strengthen our faith. It will strengthen the faith of those around you. And it will preserve your soul. So what do we make of this? Bottom line, our lives should be evidence of salvation. Our lives, our actions, our thoughts, our words should be evidence of our salvation. The gospel should be at work in you and through you. The fruit of the Spirit should be evident in your heart, in your mind, in your speech, in your actions. 
What's the fruit of the Spirit? I'm so glad you asked. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Okay, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Self-control. If your life does not sprout these things, it's time to check your roots. Because the fruit of the Spirit is not just external. It's not just something you put on for a show. The fruit of the Spirit actually permeates from your heart. It comes out of an overflow of what the Holy Spirit is doing inside you. It comes from your dedication to abiding in Christ. Your dedication to being connected to our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ and practicing obedience to Jesus. Because I don't know about you, but when I put on a jersey, it does not make me an athlete. I know, I'm surprised too, right? When I put on a basketball jersey, I don't grow seven, eight, nine, twenty inches, however tall I need to be, right? When I put on a jersey, it doesn't make me any better at any sport. You know, the external actions of kindness, the external actions of, of generosity. See, people can be kind without Jesus. They can be generous, they can be patient, they can be disciplined. You can do all kinds and have all kinds of things and not have Jesus. But a Christian can't be anything but kind, loving, joyful, because of who owns their very heart. Now, we can deny the work of Jesus in our heart. We can deny the work of the Holy Spirit in our minds and speak when he says not to speak. We can ignore and allow sin to continue to tack on in our lives when our lives, our very lives have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus who allows us to enter into the holy places of God. You can be all kinds of things without Jesus. But see, the, 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 the fruit of the Christian, it's rooted in confession. It's rooted in the confession that Jesus saves sinners. That Jesus is the one that brings us into the place where we can have communion with God. It's rooted in the confession that Jesus is the one that brings in the opportunity for us to be holy before God. Our obedience comes out of Jesus, out of the gospel at work in us, the Holy Spirit transforming us. I'll tell you, you know, one of the things that I remember as growing up as, as a Baptist is this, is that you can't really talk about the Holy Spirit that much, especially the work of the Holy Spirit, because, well, did you know in the King James it says the Holy Ghost? We don't talk about ghosts. But the work of the Holy Spirit in you is to grow you in obedience and holiness. The work of the Holy Spirit in you is to transform you into the image of Christ. To make you a reflection of Jesus. The fruit of the Christian is rooted in confession of salvation in Christ and community hope. 
that God will keep his promise. Our hope grows in community. Our hope grows in good company. That's why the writer of Hebrews tells us, don't forsake the meeting with one another as you are, as some are accustomed doing. Because bottom line, we need each other. We need each other because you can't grow good fruit in isolation. You can't address the needs of one another alone because every single one of us needs encouragement. Every single one of us needs accountability. We need to encourage and hold one another accountable because in Christianity, there are no lone wolves and no lone rangers. We are in this thing together. While you very well can know who Jesus is and never step foot inside a church. When you say that I don't need to go to church to be a Christian, you're very much ignoring the very fact that together we are the church. The church is not a building, it's a gathering of those who love Jesus. So when you say, I don't go to church, and I'm a Christian, I'll say, then you're disobedient. It shows that you have a disobedient heart. Now, we know this, because of COVID, we, we all pretty much figured this out, that you can find a whole lot better preacher online than you have right here, right? Absolutely. <laughs> you can say, I'm absolutely too busy to go to church. I'll just catch it online later, right? You can. And you can find anything that you want online. You can actually find a preacher that will tell you exactly what you want to hear. But coming together, you know what happens when we come together as a body? We do well more than we could ever do separately. That's why we are the body, so that we can do well more for the kingdom of God than we could ever do on our own. Because when you choose to be on your own, you end up alone. Now that's good relationship advice too, okay? When you choose to be on your own, you're gonna end up alone. But if you build the right community, if you come together in the right kind of gathering, if you become the type of people who draw others in because of the safety that you've created in the body, the encouragement, the grace that you share with one another, you're going to create something that draws the hurt and the broken, the disenchanted in. Because when we choose to be on our own, we're going to end up alone. And when we feel alone, we end up feeling abandoned. Abandoned by our Heavenly Father. Abandoned by the ones that were supposed to love you. And feeling abandoned makes you question God. It helps you to lose your confidence in Jesus in the hope that he brings. And I want you to know that that is absolutely dangerous. It's absolutely one of the most dangerous places to be. 
But that's also why just being interested in Jesus is not enough. Being interested enough to, to say the right words is just not enough. What is, is being transformed. Being transformed through the holy, work of the Holy Spirit in you to bring you fruitfulness in your life the overflow of your heart becoming the things that, that Paul spoke of in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit, the very things that, that bring fruitfulness in the lives of others, they're the ones that breed hope and encouragement, that spur one another along in love and good deeds. The transformation of the Holy Spirit brings together a group of people that desire to have a lasting impact through a Christ-like community of grace. And the writer of Hebrews really is pointing us to this because there's the heritage that we share. There's, we can take confidence in the faith that we have in Jesus because of the people that came before us. Now, jumping into chapter 11, starting in verse 1, he says, Now faith is the assurance of things hope for in the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. A faith that perseveres, a faith that gets through isolation, a faith that gets through loneliness and fear and hurt is one that perseveres and looks forward to the completeness that we have in Christ. It says that God is absolutely who he says he is. And God will do what he promised he would do. We have to learn how to build and grow into a faith that is bold, that does not shrink back. One that, that is bold in love, in good deeds and encouragement. In this kind of faith, it pleases God. Faith perseveres. Faith looks forward. And we go into this section of scripture where we learn and we look at all of these people Abraham had faith that God, that God would save through Messiah. And Abraham trusted that God would keep his promises. Says of Abraham that he was looking forward to the city that has its foundations, whose designer and builder is God. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. And then we go through what we call basically the roll call of faith. And if we had Bible trading cards, I think these would be the guys that we'd be like, I'm not trading these. They're the greatest Sunday school stories that you remember from being a kid. The goal of recounting the faith of Abel, of Abraham, of Sarah, of Gideon, of Samson, and the rest of them is not to give you that dream team for your trading cards. It's because every single one of them had placed their faith in someone or something greater than what they could see right in front of them. They found that there is a God who loves me and a God that promised me that I would be redeemed. It was that faith that God would bring Messiah, that God would bring Messiah to be salvation 
for their souls. That Messiah would build them a better city with a better foundation based on the promise of God. So what does faith that saves look like? It looks like a 110-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman believing that God would fulfill his promise. Even when it seems absolutely impossible, according to human reason. And if you look in your Bible and you look in, in that section of Scripture in chapter 11 and, and you look through those verses 32 through 38, you're going to find all kinds of names that you remember, but then you're going to start reading and you're going to learn that through victories and through defeat and through great escapes and torturous endings, through mighty acts and chains of prison, through great riches and extreme poverty, God brought his promise through Jesus. You're going to find that they were cut into, that they, the world was not worthy of them because their faith was in the promise that God had given. See, faith that saves is confident in Christ, that Jesus is the author of our salvation, that he is the secure of the promise of God. Faith that saves encourages hope. It spurs one another along in hope. It does not get in the way of the work of the Holy Spirit. Faith that saves creates a community of grace. A community of grace, not one of judgment. Because we're all in the absolute same boat, headed to the very same destruction without Jesus. Faith that saves transforms your heart. You show me a person whose life, whose heart, whose mind didn't change after they came to faith in Jesus, I'll show you someone whose heart has yet to be transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit in them. See, faith that saves re refuses to play that game, that saying that I'm a Christian because I live in a Christian home. Saying I'm a Christian because it's good for my image. Faith that saves is transformed by the Holy Spirit. And it transforms you into being sanctified, that is set apart, that is holy before God, being made holy before God. The work of the Holy Spirit brings you to obedience through Jesus. Faith that saves, it invites others to be changed. Faith that saves seeks the flourishing of, of others. It seeks to lift others up to lift up our communities, to search and to seek and to save those who are lost, to promote the welfare of our community, of the people who are closest around us and the desires to see other people come to Christ, even at the expense of our personal comfort. Faith that saves says fear must go and you are never alone. This is the message that we need to hear. This is the message that we must tell others. And this is the message that we should share in the community. Faith that, 
faith that saves says, fear must go and you are never alone. In Christ, this is true. Would you pray with me?